Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back with Bad Crone, and uh, he is the president of Campaign Connections, a frequent guest on our program. He's also a frequent guest on Tom Campbell's North Carolina Spin, a program that uh, is uh, a regular feature of UNC TV. Uh, a, a very interesting program, I might add, because it usually brings together two people who are more conservative in their political thoughts and two who are more liberal in their thoughts, and they talk about the issues in a very civil form. And I've, I've always admired that program and think it is a great way to get the issues out on the table. Uh, Brad, uh, uh, thank you again for your participation on our program and also for your observations. Let's, let's turn and look at the North Carolina congressional districts. Of course, we have had a redistricting, which changes the, uh, uh, the count to begin with, because now there are more Democratic-leaning, uh, by at least registrations, uh, districts in North Carolina. Uh, we've had, a, what, a 10 to 3 count, uh, Demo- uh, Republicans to Democrats. That's going to change. Yes, uh, change uh, significantly. We're going to add at least two women Democrats into the fold in North Carolina Congressional District 2, uh, Congressman George Holding uh, from the Holding family out of Johnston County, uh, former United States District Attorney for the Eastern District, uh, and had former staffer for Senator Helms, uh, is stepping down after six years in Congress. His district was redistricted to include most of Wake County, and it is a heavily uh, Democratic performing district, probably a Democrat plus seven or eight margin. So Deborah Ross, a former member, long-term member of the General Assembly, I think she served five terms in the State House representing Wake County, former head of the American Civil Liberties Union, is going to be, she ran for uh, United States Senate in 2016 and filed for election in the United States House. She is the favored winner, uh, projected predicted winner, just based on voter performance out of Wake County and is likely to serve in the United States House. The other uh, Democrat that we'll be adding is in the Greensboro area in North Carolina House District 6, which is represented by Mark Walker. He served, he's a um, Baptist minister, I believe, ordained minister and has served three terms in the United States House uh, representing uh, Guilford County that stretches all the way over to uh, some parts of Forsyth County down into Davidson and I believe it goes all the way up into uh, Rockingham County some. So um, that changed. Kathy Manning is the Democratic nominee there. Probably the likely winner that district went from a plus three Republican to a plus five Democrat that now stretches through most of Guilford County over into Eastern Forsyth County. And Kathy Manning uh, ran for Congress two years ago, was defeated and is running again. She's a very prominent and successful trial attorney, plaintiff's attorney. She and her husband have had a successful practice. Um, She is a Jewish and has received a lot of support from the Jewish community, not only across North Carolina, but nationally. And um, both Deborah Ross and Kathy Manning, I would say, are centrist to progressive Democrats. Um, And uh, their campaigns for the House, uh, Don, have focused primarily on what I call table, uh, kitchen table issues, 
dealing with the coronavirus, but also dealing with economic relief, tax relief for working families, access to quality, affordable health care. They've been the, the center point. The other two elections that I think people in North Carolina need to pay attention to North Carolina House District 8, where long-term Congressman Richard Hudson is in a battle for his life against former state Supreme Court Justice Patricia Timmons Goodson. And that race is absolutely just a barn burner. And that's why you've seen uh, the Republicans really focus on turnout. That's why you've seen the president go into uh, central North Carolina. That's why you saw the president go into uh, Robeson County over the weekend, Saturday, with a rally down there, really trying to gin up Republican support and, and help. Vice President Pence has been into the district. Um, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris have both been into the district as well. So Fayetteville, Cumberland County, the 8th Congressional District is absolutely knuckle-to-knuckle, hand-to-hand combat between the two parties on turning out the vote. And based on presidential performance, does Richard, is he able to hold on? And both of them have absolutely impeccable records of public service. I've known uh, Justice Timmons Goodson all the way back to early 2000s and just a a great lady, a great jurist, a very, very smart, capable attorney. And if she wins, if she upsets Richard, I'm sure she will do a very good job in the United States House as well. But that's a race we'll be watching not only election night, but probably Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday as they get the mail-in ballots counted. That's how close the race is going to be. It could be a 10,000, uh, 15,000 vote differentiation in that congressional race. And the last race I'm watching in North Carolina on the congressional front is North Carolina House District 11 where you have retired Air Force Colonel Mo Davis, Morris Davis, the Democrat in Asheville running against Madison Cawthorn, a 25-year-old first-time candidate Republican running from Henderson in Hendersonville. Uh, Mr. Cawthorn has a really interesting story, uh, Don. He uh, was appointed by Mark Meadows to go to the uh, United States Army Academy at West Point and ended up in an automobile accident and was paralyzed from the waist down when he was 18 years old. So he had to suspend his military career. He went to school and started in business and real estate development there in Henderson and mounted a campaign sort of that came out of nowhere, built a strong grassroots organization, got a lot of support from Grassroots North Carolina and the NRA and small businesses and Republican organizations across the district. He's very photogenic, uh, very smart, articulate, and he's running in a congressional district that is probably R plus two, R plus three uh, since redistricting. It is competitive. Mo Davis is running uh, a campaign basically saying that Madison does not have the experience or the maturity yet to serve in the United States House, and uh, they've had major issues over coronavirus and how you handle that, as well as healthcare policies. I think it's going to be, I think that race is another hand-to-hand combat type congressional campaign in North Carolina, and that's one we need to watch on election night and as we move forward. Uh, it's a true toss-up. North Carolina House District 8, a, two, a true toss-up. Both of them run an extensive radio campaigns, television campaigns, direct mail, 
Uh, the Republicans are out actively doing door-to-door. And interesting enough, Don, the Democrats have actually been doing door-to-door campaigns as well. So uh, those are the congressional races that I'm paying attention to. Everybody else looks pretty safe. G.K. Butterfield, David Price, um, Ted Budd up in uh, Davie County's looking pretty safe. So uh, I don't think there'll be any other surprises than the North Carolina 8 and North Carolina 11. Both of them are toss-up races. We have not talked about the race for lieutenant governor because in North Carolina, of course, that is not part of a, a, a slate where the governor and the lieutenant governor run uh, as a team as in the presidential election. So uh, what are you seeing there? Well, it, that is the most important council of state race in the state this year, simply because the balance of power within the North Carolina Senate could end up in a situation where we have 25 Democrats and 25 Republicans. So it will be the first time since Bob Jordan was Lieutenant Governor, which was 1985, I reckon, um, that the Lieutenant Governor may actually end up having power. So that race is between Mark Robinson, a Greensboro Republican, who is getting a lot of support from the gun advocates, Second Amendment folks across the state, Republican grassroots, against Yvonne Lewis Holly. And Yvonne worked in uh, the Department of Administration, retired, and has served in the General Assembly for the last uh, eight years, I believe, representing uh, Central Raleigh from uh, Newburn Avenue all the way up to Capitol Boulevard. And Yvonne comes from a very prominent African-American family in North Carolina. Her father, J.D. Lewis, was hired by Mr. Fletcher at Capital Broadcasting and was the first African-American broadcaster on the air when uh, WRAL television went on the air in the early 1960s. So they have a uh, very long history of working in civil rights and with minority affair issues in North Carolina, very prominent. So that race is within the margin, too, and it's going to be extremely close. And who wins is going to be important for North Carolina. We touched briefly on the gubernatorial race. That one seems to have some separation. And uh, it appears that uh, at this point in time that uh, the uh, challenger has uh, some, uh, some ground to gain if he's going to make that race competitive. Absolutely, Don. The big issue there in the governor's race has been money and the fact that Governor Cooper has just overwhelmed uh, the airwaves, broadcast, radio, television, cable, direct mail. He's been all over the place. I think I saw a report the other day he'd spent almost $20 million on television compared to about $3 million that Dan Forrest has been able to run. And the key issue there, the big differentiator has been how uh, Governor Cooper has handled uh, COVID-19 response and uh, the the flagrant um, policies that the lieutenant governor has has done in his campaign rallies of not wearing a mask, not practicing social distancing. And those are really concerns for unaffiliated independent voters in the state. And they represent almost, you know, 28, 29% of all the votes cast. So clearly the money advantage in Corona-19 have had an impact there. Well, uh, we've kind of covered everything, and I'm looking forward to the final segment, which is coming up after this break. And during that time, I want to sort of refocus on the national situation as far as those key states of Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and so forth, and and look at uh, how you're forecasting the electoral college vote might turn out, as well as uh, 
uh, a prediction overall on how North Carolina's races will turn out. We're going to put you on the spot. Our guest is Brad Crone. He's the president of Campaign Connections, and we'll be back with that final segment right after these messages. Adopt U.S. Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting. A teenager learning the lingo. Today, I'm going to help parents translate teen slang. Now, when a teen says something is on fleek, it's exactly like saying, that's rad. It simply means that something is awesome or cool. Another one is totes. It's exactly like saying, totally, just shorter. As in, I totes love going to the mall with Becca. Another word you might hear is jelly. Jelly is a shorter, better way to say jealous. As in, Chloe, I am like so jelly of your unicorn phone case. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will think you're, um, rad just the same. To learn more, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt U.S. Kids, and the Ad Council. I'm a 40-year-old man that walked in there to get his high school diploma. It was very hard for me, but Miss Araceli, she gave me direction. At age 47, Marco finished his high school diploma. 50% of getting your high school diploma is walking through those doors. The other 50% is doing the work. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. Our final segment of Carolina Newsmakers here as we are during the countdown period to election 2020. A very interesting rate. We've had a lot of fun listening to the comments of Brad Crone, who's our guest, uh, because uh, Brad is a keen observer of North Carolina politics. He has been in the business of, uh, uh, after he lost his, his way, at one time he was a journalist and, and uh, worked at WPTF, and then he lost his way and became a political strategist. And we've commented I'm working on that. my way back. I'm working my way back. Well, that's, that's showing that everyone can return to their roots. Absolutely. Uh, We've got uh, an interesting situation, as you pointed out earlier, the popular vote in the United States really uh, is of interest. But remember, Hillary Clinton won the popular vote last time. So it's the Electoral College, state by state, that uh, determines who will win the presidential uh, uh, race. And uh, the key states this year are those uh, uh, top three Rust Bay uh, states, Pennsylvania, of course, is a key, Wisconsin, Michigan. And then you've got another round of states that are sort of uh, possible toss-ups, North Carolina, Florida, Arizona, and uh, maybe one or two others. But uh, those are the key ones. So how do you see the Electoral College vote going at this point in time, and what would be your prediction of how it might turn out? Well, I've been following real clear politics that are tracking all the public polls that are out there from the major news organizations. And uh, the president and and Biden are virtually in a dead heat in Ohio. The uh, vice president, Biden, has a a three, four-point advantage in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. In Michigan and Wisconsin, which were neglected by the Hillary Clinton campaign, the Democrats made the decision, not the Democrats made the decision, Don, that they're not going to make that mistake again. So they focused a lot of time and energy right after the convention. Vice President Biden made uh, tours 
through both Wisconsin and Michigan and made repeated trips. And those states are looking like uh, that Biden is having a, a, an advantage that's getting outside the margin of error, four and a half points, five point advantages in both Wisconsin and in um, Michigan. Michigan. Yeah. The other interesting state that the president has made an effort to, to cut ground into has been Minnesota. The other battleground state is Iowa. And uh, Iowa went for Trump a couple years in, in 2016. It is a true battleground right now. Huge uh, United States Senate race there with Joni Erst absolutely fighting for her life against Teresa Greenfield, a Democratic challenger. And Democrats are feeling very optimistic about Iowa. Another interesting battleground is in uh, Arizona. And Democrats really believe that they've got an opportunity to pick up Arizona. And Florida, another battleground state, there have been polls that show Trump up there, two points, three points. There were recent polls this past week showing Biden in a dead heat. I think Florida is going to come down it's just clearly to turn out uh, and how the I-4 corridor performs uh, from Orlando all the way uh, over to Jackson and uh, then back down into Pensacola, into uh, Tampa as well. So now, I've, been, I've been told regarding Florida that if uh, Trump does not win Florida, the race is probably all is over because that uh, is one state that he abs absolutely has to win. Right, right. And, and, and North Carolina, too. If he loses North Carolina, he, he really doesn't have a path. And I would not call the race in North Carolina and I don't think we'll be able to call the race in North Carolina until Thursday or Friday. And let me go through that. You, on election night, you're going to see the early vote numbers come in. And the early vote numbers are probably going to represent as close, probably 50% of your total votes cast. 20 to 25% of your votes being cast are going to be absentee mail-in ballots. In North Carolina, the election officials aren't allowed to tabulate those votes prior to uh, election day. So they're held in bins. They'll be opened on election morning, on the morning of election day, and then they'll begin the tabulation process. But for counties like Mecklenburg County and, and Wake County and Cumberland County, Guilford, Forsyth, and metropolitan counties, you're going to have 300,000 ballots to count. So the high-speed scanner tabulators that they have are going to be working full-time. So it may actually take uh, a day to two days for them to tabulate all the absentee mail-in ballots. And that means the reporting cycle on this election, while we'll all be doing election results on Tuesday night, it's really going to be interesting to see how they trickle in on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. I think North Carolina still has the ability to count absentee ballots that are postmarked that, that can come in two or three days after the election day. And those votes will be uh, tabulated and reported as well. So, it, you know, we may not know who wins North Carolina until uh, Saturday or Sunday or Monday after the election here in North Carolina. They do have, the state board will have to certify the elections, I believe, on the 17th of November, two weeks after election day. So hopefully we'll have some type of uh, in ballot at that point in time. Um, but you got several. The, the, the other interesting thing that we hadn't talked about, Don, is the state legislative races. 
and both the state Senate and the state House are in play. The, the, the reins of power are up for grabs in both chambers. You've got a state Senate that could go either way, and you've got a state House that could go either way. We know that the Republicans have maintained power in the state of North Carolina at the state legislative level since the 2010 election. This election with new court-mandated redistricting has made uh, control of the General Assembly up for grabs. There are a couple of races in the state Senate that will be key, North Carolina Senate District 1 and, and Northeastern North Carolina, uh, Bob Steinberg against Tess Judge, and uh, that's from Dare County all the way over to Pasco Tank, Perquimans, Camden, Currituck County, the northeast corner of the state. And the other really interesting race that folks are tracking is Senate District 24 in Alamance County. It's an open seat, former Senator Rick Gunn, uh, retiring from his seat there. Amy Gailey is the chairperson of the Alamance County Commission. She's a Republican running for election to the Senate. J.D. Wooten is the Democrat. He ran two years ago. It, very extreme, hand-to-hand, -hand, just hard-fought, knock-em-out contest. I bet there have been 100 pieces of mail delivered to voters in that district between the candidates and all the different independent expenditure groups invested in that campaign. The interesting dynamic going on in Alamance County is this. You've got bedroom communities in Mebane and a bedroom community in Elon College. Both serve in Greenville and then Research Triangle Park, respectively. So you had a lot of new people move into Alamance County, and that's definitely put it in play. And then the last race that people are watching is the Joyce Kaywick seat over in Forsyth County, and whether or not she'll be able to hold on to power. But Don, we could end up in a situation where you have a 25-25 Senate, and that's why your lieutenant governor is going to be so important in the, the state council state races. On the state house side, uh, Tim Moore, same situation. It's going to be uh, really, really close. You could have a 60-60 split in the state house as well, or 61-59 either way. Well, it's going to be an interesting period of time. I think we probably will have some notions of how these races are going to come out on election night. But uh, we, as you said, it probably will be a little bit later. Brad, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts. Uh, helps us all kind of understand what the situation is and what's at stake. Brad Crone, the president of Campaign Connections. Our program is produced by Jason Cog, and he'll have another guest for us next week. If you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and hear just that. So until next week, same time, same station. Have a nice week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.